Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me as we both look back and look ahead. Look back at the offseason work, what we learned, what we think, and then look ahead to training camp. What questions do we still have about the team? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 650, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a five. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. So, Paul, did you happen to notice anything different as you arrived here at the Dignity Health Arizona Cardinals Training Center? Wow. Uh, something you, you have something new you're parking in the parking lot? Is that what you're saying? Right exactly. How in? about this? More okay. available parking, which can only mean one thing. <laughs> the offseason yeah. has officially begun. The break, if you will, yep. between offseason workouts and the start of training camp. Coaches, players, they're all gone. Rookies, though, still here this week, and then they'll be set free, but... Paul, you and I, we're here. Our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, is here. No days off. It is a good day when you don't have to park in the auxiliary (laughs) lot and then wait for a shuttle to take you in because you don't have almost 90 players in attendance. So, yes, you know, or I guess if Darren Urban was here, he would just simply tell me, well, Paul, get to work earlier. So either way, you know, it is good. It is good when, you know, uh, there is room. And you know what? Uh, When you don't have to cram your car and worry about a door ding, don't get me started on some of my pet peeves out there. We can't all be like our colleague Darren Urban where he has an assigned parking spot. I believe he's inching closer and closer to one of those spots behind the security gate. That, Mm. that, Paul, we can only dream about. Just tell me the number on his parking spot. I'm going to go (laughs) ahead and commandeer it one of these days just to to tweak him a little bit. All right, as we tease, training camp. By the way, 11 open practices at State Farm Stadium, the first one being Thursday, July 27th. Parking, admission, free. Digital tickets, though, are required. Just go to azcardinals.com for more information. By the way, the first padded practice, which Ron Wolfley will always be pointing to, first padded practice, okay. though, not yeah. until Monday, July 31st. Okay, I'm writing that down. July 31st, because I'm taking this one day at a time. Not only no days <laughs> off, one day at a time, but I am marking that down. That really is a national holiday. The first day of pads, full contact, full speed, full football out there. July 31st, that's good. Okay. Yeah, because up until then, it's still kind of more of what we've been seeing at OTAs and minicamp, or as head coach Jonathan Gannon liked to call it, pajama ball, which is something that I I thought that was an apt description. Yeah, and you know what? It, It really is. Not to say, though, and we've had this conversation, not to say that you can't make some determinations about talent out on that field. It just depends on the position. O line, D line, not so much. Linebackers, mm, okay. But when it comes to receivers and DBs, yeah, I, I think you can get an early sense. What does a DB look like in coverage? Is he sticking with the receiver? Is a receiver getting separation? Obviously, you know, can a quarterback make the throws? What sort of arm strength? When you're going some of the nine on seven, what's the accuracy on a quarterback? There are some early determinations. That, you know, and I asked Jonathan Gannon about that, Craig, about, okay, can you start to make some decisions, at least get down that path, especially as a brand new staff with a brand new roster, 
few guys he's familiar with, whether the Kaiser Whites and Zach Paschals of the world. But for the most part, 98% of these players out here are brand new to the coaches. They need to familiarize themselves. All right, if it's adapt or die and our game plan is going to change every week, well, what do we have at our disposal? What can we do? What are we capable of? And so that's why I think he had, he had almost 100% attendance, yep. right? At least everybody's in the building. Not everybody's out on the field. We'll get into that a little bit later. But it's imperative. You not only want to make a first impression, you want to make a lasting impression on the new decision makers. There were 10 OTA practices, two weeks worth of mini camps, one a voluntary veteran mini camp heading into the draft. That was a bonus because the Cardinals are one of several teams with a brand new head coach. And then, of course, mandatory mini camp, which was cut to just two days of on-field work. So with all that being said, Paul, after all of that, what did we learn? Aren't there any takeaways from this offseason? Because we didn't get a whole lot from the head coach, but just listening, watching, any big takeaways from the offseason and a brand-new, not only front office, but a brand-new coaching staff and several, several new faces wearing Cardinals uniforms. Oh, I have plenty of takeaways. Are we ready for this one? Yes, Are, you ready? Are you ready, Craig Grillo, for the Always. takeaways? Okay, well, let's go back and forth. Dueling takeaways, or I'll just keep running. You can stop <laughs> me accordingly. Throw up your hand in the air. I'm going to start with the offense and the scheme. How many different players did we or say we're going to run the ball more? I mean, by my count, you had DJ Humphreys, Will Hernandez, Colt McCoy, James Conner, Hollywood Brown, Keontae Ingram recently on the Big Red Rage. Every one of them espoused how the Cardinals are going to be much more of a balanced offense. Yell at a Froholt, quote, it's yes. definitely a priority for us. So, yeah, the emphasis on running the football, which is a dramatic departure for what we've seen. And look, it's necessary, I think. It really is, especially without Kyler Murray. If you're going to be running backup quarterbacks out there, you better have a run game. And honestly, you better have a run game for any quarterback. Where did the Cardinals struggle most last year on offense? The downfield passing attack. They were dead last in almost every single metric when it came to throwing the ball downfield, which was shocking. Kyler Murray was so effective. He was top three, top five. In every analytic category in the downfield passing accuracy and efficiency, that wasn't the case last year. And I think you can make a pretty compelling argument. It's because teams didn't respect the run, and they were able to flood the passing lanes and keep two high safeties. How many times do we hear the cover two shell look that they would get all the time? They were just daring the Cardinals to run the ball, daring defenses to put that, bring that safety up in the box to provide run support. Never really happened. Wasn't necessary to stop the Cardinals. And even when the Cardinals did run the ball, like against Tampa, when you had James Conner averaging more than five yards a carry, he only got 15 carries in that game, while Trace McSorley threw it 45 times. So there's a different approach, there's a different philosophy, and there's a different value placed on the ground attack. Let me add to that as far as when you're talking about running the ball more because we've heard whether it's from coaches or players, the use of the tight end, whether that's two, dare I say, three tight ends on the field at the same time, whether one of those is in the backfield as an H-back or as a fullback to help out a James Conner or a Keontae Ingram, how many of those tight ends, because previously the tight end was more of a flexed out wide receiver either in the slot or outside, how many of those tight ends are we going to see in a three-point stance and help block along the offensive line? We heard in the wired segment, 
John, if you haven't seen it, Jonathan Gannon wired up recently at practice, and he's talking to the tight ends coach, and the tight ends coach is lamenting how many tight ends come out of the college game have ever even been in a three-point stance. How do you know if a rookie tight end can even block? Very few of them were tasked with that in the college game. They're glorified receivers who are flexed out in so many of these air raid spread attacks in the college game. So that's a great point. And if you want to talk about the line of scrimmage and blocking, I'd say something else we learned is that the offensive line is deeper and better than most figure. Yeah, I'm personally expecting D.J. Humphreys and Paris Johnson Jr. to be your starting tackles. If Yelda Froholt is your starting center, Will Hernandez, your starting right guard, there's going to be a competition El Grande for the left guard spot. But there are a lot of names in that offensive line room with NFL experience and I think NFL capability that it's going to be a lot deeper and a lot better than most people figure. What was the biggest question we had when the Cardinals drafted Paris Johnson Jr.? Where would he begin his career? And it was initial, right out of rookie minicamp, right of center. And then as the offseason progressed, we see him further right of center, meaning playing that tackle position, even when Kellen Beecham returned during OTAs, that last week of OTAs. So it does seem, it would appear as we speak here in late June that they will open with Paris Johnson as your right tackle and then see where things go from there. But when, Paul, you invest so much, whether it was draft capital or just a sixth overall pick, you want to see that player on the football field. And it's been a trend in the NFL. Seattle started two rookie tackles a year ago. The Giants were a playoff team. They took Evan Neal seventh overall out of Alabama. He was the starting right tackle. They bookended him with Andrew Thomas. I could see the Cardinals going with a very similar equation. And if you want to talk about things we learned in regards to Paris Johnson Jr., we heard Jonathan Gannon say late in June before they went off on the break in response to a question about where Paris Johnson Jr. would play. He sort of, you know, he sort of denied the question and then re- concluded by saying, and I quote. Paris Johnson Jr. has what you are looking for in a starting tackle. That might be a tell. That might be foreshadowing. At least I fully expect it to be. And then it begets the question, okay, is there room on this roster for both Josh Jones and Kelvin Beecham? Is it one or the other for that final swing tackle spot in that offensive line room? Or do you keep both guys because your franchise left tackle is is coming off a back injury. And back injury and offensive linemen are are four words that don't mix usually. And so maybe you have to be a little more cautious in that regard and and have reinforcements ready. And maybe in a case of an emergency, both can play inside as far as a guard position. Now, it hasn't gone very well for a Josh Jones inside, close to the center position. And Beach has been more there, literally, in case of an emergency. He's been a tackle basically his entire career. But in a pinch, especially if you are that eighth or ninth offensive lineman, you got to be able to play multiple positions. But it's a good point because how many tackles can you afford when right now, interior, whether it's left guard or center, those are the big question marks on the O-line. Remember we got on that storyline in December of last year. We were already looking ahead to the 2023 season. All right, where does Josh Jones fit? And we wondered, okay, if he's much more comfortable on the left side as a career left tackle in college than the right side, and he, he admits to as much, then maybe he's a future left guard because you have D.J. Humphreys at left tackle. But then doing a little research, talking to some of the coaches. Now, this is the prior staff. Most of them were pretty adamant that he's not a guard. Here's the question. 
is he trade bait? Is he subject to trade considering he's in a contract year and he's from that 2020 draft class? I would not be shocked considering the depth the Cardinals have in the offensive line room and the contract status of a Josh Jones if he's not a target of a trade some point in August and the Cardinals get something in return as opposed to letting him walk a year from now. Remember last season, nine starts at left tackle when Humphreys was on the sideline with that back injury, but the season prior to that, 12 games he started, nine at right guard, three at right tackle, but he's also been one of the more penalized offensive linemen, and that's something, as we go back to what did we learn, going back to that accountability, that was kind of my big takeaway. I also had offense in Paris Johnson Jr., but when you talk about your number one takeaway this offseason, accountability, and I know it's something that every single brand-new head coach or first-year head coach comes in and tries to lay that foundation down. But how many stories have we heard, whether it was Zayvon Collins, no eating in the meeting rooms, or the conversation that Wolf and Luke had with my Jay Sanders where he said that they want, talking about the coaching staff, if you are in this facility at the Dignity Health Arizona Cardinals Training Center, you are wearing team gear, Cardinals paraphernalia, hat, T-shirt, shorts, whatever it is, but they want that semblance of going back to Team first, you second. Little things are big things in the NFL. When you have the vast majority of games decided by a touchdown or less, and that touchdown can be the result of a single mistake, when a handful of plays decide virtually every single game, yes, little things matter. Not every team starts the offseason with the owner saying, we have an accountability problem, quote, end quote, and then electing to make some significant change in terminating the existing head coach and general manager. So, yes, it has been a point of emphasis. Yes, it has been vast change that we have seen. And it's necessary change in a lot of ways. We talk about the offensive line and the penalties, and we speculate on it. You did the research. Cardinals were top three in penalties overall last season. They were number one in most accepted penalties against the Cardinals, and they were number one in false start penalties. To me, that's focus. That's attention to detail. Two years before that, they led the league in penalties. So it's been a chronic problem. And you know what? It's correctable. These self-inflicted issues, how many times have we talked about that in the last season and a half? The Cardinals have lost to the Cardinals as much as they've lost to the opponent. And you can't have self-inflicted errors and be a winning team, have that winning behavior Jonathan Gannon speaks of, and be viable in the NFL. Pre-snap, post-snap penalties. That's, I mean, as far as after the whistle is blown, that cannot happen. You are going to get called for holding, whether that's on the offensive line or a cornerback. That's going to happen. That's part of the game. But when you're sitting there at third and two, and then all of a sudden the whistle blows and that right guard moved out of his stance, and then all of a sudden third and two becomes third and seven, and what you intended to call changes. Your playbook shrinks because third and two, everything's open. Third and seven, third and 12, after a five-yard penalty, you're all of yep. a sudden just showing your hand to the defense and going, all right, we know you're going to throw the ball. We're ready. Or on the opposite side, if we've seen and we saw it a lot, that defensive line jumping the gun, trying to get that extra half step, and they come across the line of scrimmage and all of a sudden handing a first down to an offense, and the drive continues. Every player taking their one turn to make their one mistake. And it all adds up to a loss. How many times was that an issue for the Cardinals last season? So you got to eliminate that. There has to be a different approach. There has to be a different 
outcome. Uh, and you know what? Um, there has been a lot of different changes made. I, I would say something else in the category things we learned. Not only is Zayvon Collins an outside linebacker, but according to a couple of teammates, he's, quote, going to be a dominant outside backer. That was Dennis Gardeck. And then most recently, Josh Woods with Wolf and Luke said that Zayvon Collins is, quote, going to be an amazing player in this league. <laughs> now, you know how many times I've mentioned players, no players. I want to believe that. Everyone wants to believe that because if there's one, there's needs and wants. And Zayvon Collins being a dominant outside backer uh, checks both boxes. Cardinals had half their sacks walk out the door in Zach Allen and J.J. Watt. We're all very familiar with that stat. So where's it going to come from? They need more production off the edge. They obviously took the starting tackle number six overall and left Will Anderson on the board. So, okay, if Saban Collins is the former 16th pick overall, can actually be a first-round talent, that sort of caliber outside pass rusher. We, you know, How many times have we said over the last year or two, if only Isaiah Simmons could be that Micah Parsons, that, quote, pass-rushing linebacker. That's what the Cowboys call Micah Parsons, who's a top-10 defensive player in this league. Well, maybe we got the wrong Cardinal. Maybe it's Zayvon Collins who has potential to be a Micah Parsons type. Six foot four, 260 pounds. His strength that Gardeck brought up on how strong, Gardeck, or how strong Collins is. And then you just think of the fact that a year two now with Zayvon Collins as far as moving from inside the box to outside and how much he learned as being that quarterback of the defense where you're signaling to everyone else how much smarter is he to now maybe do his job as an outside linebacker a little bit better, knowing where the ball is going to be coming from, knowing where he needs to be, and then it's just all about technique and how many times we saw him work with Rob Rodriguez, the outside linebacker's coach, as far as hand placement, footwork, getting in the right position to where that first step off the line of scrimmage, you've got past or you're a step behind either tackle or if you're inside through that guard. I know a lot of people want to make the comparison to Hassan Reddick, 13th pick overall once upon a time by the Cardinals, who started inside, then moved to the edge, obviously went to Carolina, then just really broke out last year with the Eagles. So maybe Jonathan Gannon sees some similarities. The difference is that Hassan Reddick was an All-American playing the edge in college. Zayman Collins has been an inside linebacker the entirety of his career out of high school. But here's the one thing I think they do have in common, and Dennis Gardek talked about this. When you go from inside linebacker to outside linebacker, you are reducing what you have to think about considerably. Gardek said it's so much more simple playing the outside backer. It's basically one or two things. The play's coming at you or the play's going away from you. It's, so for him to go from inside to outside, it's sort of like going from calculus to simple remedial math. It, it really hopefully will unlock all that athletic talent and those traits. And he'll be playing a lot more than he's thinking and you're going to see a different and more productive Zayvon Collins. When you're on the outside, the ball is either coming to you or away from you. Inside, it's a little bit harder. You have to think a little bit more and be a little bit more. Uh, you're, you're trying to figure out where that football is going to be. And if, and if you're a half-step slow at inside backer, it doesn't matter how athletic you are, you won't make the play. Hassan Reddick was that guy, is an inside backer. When you watched him run around the field, the athleticism was astounding, but when he played, he didn't play nearly that fast because he wasn't that instinctive. He wasn't used to that inside linebacker spot. A Larry Foote at the end of his career. How old was Footy, right? <laughs> he could barely move. 
Buddy was able to read the play and be there before the offensive player and beat the man to the spot. And that's how he was still a starting linebacker, middle linebacker at the end of his career. So with that in mind, you're just you're hopeful that Zaven Collins, it'll be a launching point, him moving to the outside. The move of Zaven to outside linebacker, unofficial. Although I'll give you credit, Paul, you are well ahead of anyone on this. I was a latecomer to this. But Zaven Collins, we are here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Zaven Collins is an outside linebacker. Now, the official move on that defense, Isaiah Simmons, working defensive back from here on out. He is going to master defensive back. And when we say that, that's either safety where he's been working with as far as the different position groups or perhaps slot corner, which is where he played most of his snaps a year ago. But no more of this, hey, where is Isaiah Simmons going to be, that inside linebacker? Is he close to the line of scrimmage? Is he going to drop back in coverage? No, he is going to be manning that secondary in some form or fashion. Sandbagger alert, right? Coaches, the previous staff said this multiple times. He'd be playing one position, and then it never really materialized. However, I, I do believe it with this staff. I really do. And, and I think it is necessary for an Isaiah Simmons. He's played so many different spots, probably to his own detriment. Can he master that, that one safety position? Here's the thing. He's been in the safety room now. This is the second straight yeah. season. He was in there at the beginning of the 2022 season. All right, so what sort of safety is he going to be? We had this discussion with Rob Fredrickson on the Big Red Rage, former outside linebacker in the NFL for a decade between the Cardinals, the Raiders, and the Lions. And he was talking about, look, the straight-line speed and athleticism is elite by Isaiah Simmons. But are the hips too tight for change of direction? How can they use him? Where is he best utilized? I think – that is, is probably the first thing I look at on this defense when you get to camp. How? Where? Can he really be that center field safety who has to have the change of direction? You know, he was drafted, as the quote went, to cover the tight end. But when you're up against the elite tight ends, the George Kittles, the Travis Kelseys, that's been problematic because those guys are polished route runners. Can Isaiah Simmons exist with that sort of assignment? on his plate there's still a lot to be determined for a guy who's in his fourth year in a contract year fifth year option not picked up not only is there a lot on the line there's a lot to be determined as to what sort of player Isaiah Simmons is is he better in space as opposed to closer to the line of scrimmage where there's a lot of traffic where your eyes and we always hear that with players as far as where are your eyes what are your eyes telling you and do you get fooled and how many times have we seen Isaiah Simmons get fooled because He's not looking where he's supposed to be or he's anticipating and he's not making the right read. Simmons might just be that guy where you just say, all right, you cover this area of the football field. Maybe that means you're playing a little bit more zone. But to your point on what Fredrickson brought up as far as that change of direction, how well is he is going laterally, that quick change left to right, backpedaling, as opposed to just finding where that ball carrier is and then acting like a missile. His pick six last year, I believe, was in his zone coverage where he's essentially playing the will. And he, he stepped into the passing lane, great catch, and then housed it yep. with his four three nine speed. If you're telling me, and we've how many times have we asked Jonathan Gannon, meaning we, the media, what's your base defense, right? Okay, sir, what's your base defense? And he won't answer the question. You figure they're going to be in a 3-4 of some sort just based on the personnel. But what if nickel is their base? And what if an Isaiah Simmons is that third safety, the fifth DB, but he's really playing a hybrid safety slash will linebacker role? 
I think that's plausible. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Now, we don't know that. We'll have to wait till training camp, and we'll even then we'll see if we get an answer to that. A lot of teams are going to keep that under wraps until week one, Cardinals' first game at Washington. Maybe we find out then, and the commanders will find out the hard way. But I would say, yes, you could see a hybrid will linebacker safety position. And number two, to Rob's point, I wouldn't be surprised if the commanders don't come out and target Isaiah Simmons. It's a game of matchups. Plenty of teams have done it. If Isaiah is one of your best 11 defenders, you need to get him on the football field. And is that a third safety? Is that a fifth defensive back? And you go lighter at the line of scrimmage. You go lighter inside the box. You want your best 11 to JG's point as far as, yeah, I really don't have a scheme. I need to see who our best 11 are, and then we'll figure out how to match up against offenses. And Because it's never too early to talk about the first opponent. Logan Thomas, former Cardinals draft pick and quarterback, six foot six Logan Thomas, who's now a standout tight end in the league for Washington. I could easily see that being Isaiah Simmons' matchup and assignment week one. My last takeaway here from the offseason, the confidence among this rookie class, whether it was Paris Johnson Jr., Michael Wilson, Clayton Toon, and even to a certain extent, Keetrell Clark, because I thought it was a fascinating conversation when we had a chance to hear from Michael late in the offseason about how how much work Keetrell is doing as far as taking notes on his own receivers. And you're talking about a day three cornerback, but just this entire rookie class. I know it's it's hard because I, I, I make this promise to myself every year, Paul, that I'm not going to hype up the rookies. It, it, but at some point, it's the only thing to talk about. You get excited, whether it's a day one, day two, or day three pick, and then all of a sudden training camp begins, and you kind of lose sight of the rookies because the veterans, while they've been here, they all of a sudden step up and say, you know what, I'm taking this rep. They assert themselves a little bit more, and the rookies take a backseat. I don't know if that's going to be the case with this rookie class, specifically Paris and Michael Wilson. No question. I, I mean, so many of these position rooms, it's the land of opportunity. Defensive line, wide open. So if you're telling me a, a day three pick like uh, a, a Jacob, say, a, a day three pick like Dante Stills, as I advance past the, between him and Jacob Slade, who are making an impact, I think, in that D line room, just because there's so much uncertainty, whether it's Jonathan Ledbetter whether it's Rashard Lawrence, where were they in the offseason, what exactly is going on. You have some veterans who you think you can count on, but they were let go by their former teams and Carlos Watkins and L.J. Collier. So, yes, and then you get to the cornerback room, Keytrol Clark to go along with Marco Wilson, Antonio Hamilton. Uh, but there is certainly, if you need at least three corners and arguably four in a, on every NFL roster, then Keytrol Clark absolutely has a chance to compete, especially if they're still waiting on Garrett Williams, the third-round pick, um, if they can count on him. And I just think this is a season where they're not going to hesitate to play the young guys, play the draft picks, especially without your franchise quarterback for an undetermined amount of time. Uh, they will be given every chance to secure playing time. There's no doubt in my mind. The one rookie that we have not seen because he was dealing with, we think, was a hamstring injury that he was dealing with before during the pre-draft process is B.J. Ojolari because he certainly would help as far as edge rushers and getting to the quarterback. Your thing is always, you know, you got to be able to get to the quarterback, you protect the quarterback, and you get to the quarterback. Ojolari, what he did at LSU wearing that number 18, did get to the quarterback. Five and a half sacks his last year there. 
but we just haven't seen him. He's been present. He's been watching, taking mental reps, but he just hasn't been physically on the football field. There's still time for him to make an impact. There's no doubt about it. I think there are three positions as a rookie where you can make an instant impact, running back, corner, especially in a man coverage, and then edge rusher, go get the quarterback. Can B.J. Ojolari still have a heck of a camp and still be in that rotation week one? Absolutely. But he's still a complete unknown, I think, to so many of us who have been following the Cardinals and watching. But that old outside linebacker room, I've said it before, I'll say it again. To me, the early clubhouse leader for most valuable assistant coach is Rob Rodriguez. Whether it's going to be B.J. Ojolari, whether it's Zayvon Collins making the position change, whether it's a very unique body type and skill set in a Dennis Gardeck, can you get him back to being productive? Gardeck has already shared that, you know what, previously his approach to pass rushing was just bring all the athleticism like a Tasmanian devil off the edge and then figure it out from there. No, not anymore. Rob Rodriguez is, you got to have a plan, you got to have a move in mind and then a counter move. And then, of course, if you're a believer that the biggest leap is from year one to year two, you have the pair of third-round picks, 2022, and Cam Thomas and my Jay Sanders. These guys are going to be counted on at that position as well. So you need to get to the quarterback. It's not nearly going to come from your defensive line room like it was a year ago, minus Zach Allen and J.J. Watt. So it's imperative that these edge rushers really go and ball out. And that's one of my questions that still we have to have an answer, and that is who emerges from that defensive line room? Where does the pass rush come from? But I don't think we're doing anyone any favors, Paul. The number one question that we all have going into camp, probably during camp and coming out of camp, is Kyler Murray. When does he return? He has been around. He's been fully engaged in meeting rooms, watching practice. But when do we see number one on the football field? And dare I say, I don't think it's going to be at the beginning of training camp. It might be towards the middle or late. They have been very, very clear. Kyler Murray is going to return when he is, quote, physically and mentally ready. And it is JG's decision, not K1's decision. And it's the mental aspect as well. Like, you can be a Joe Burrow and you can be a, put a big leg brace and you can just sit in the pocket. And you can just be that pocket quarterback. And you can sort of work your way through getting back to 100% physical status over the course of a season. But is that really Kyler Murray? That hasn't been his game. And so what does that mean? Will he have to be 100% physically? And then is he going to be able to trust that knee and win? How, how critical is that going to be? Remember, you know, he suffered that injury in space. It was a non-contact injuries so what does that mean exactly and we have no idea could we see him in September perhaps could we see him sometime around at Halloween maybe uh, I, I nobody has really given any sort of viable timetable or even speculated as much so all right what does the offense look like when he gets back do they have a different scheme set up when Kyler since he has such a unique skill set so vastly different than a Colt McCoy or if you see a Jeff Driscoll or David Blau. Now, Clayton Toon ran for quite a few yards, and and he says that's an underrated aspect of his game. But he's certainly – they're not running quarterback power with a Clayton Toon. And I think the Cardinals learned their lesson in Denver, what happens when you run Colt McCoy on third and short. And you pull – you know, it's that, that was a little too risky. The risk-reward on that wasn't in the Cardinals' favor. So, yeah, it is a huge, 
question mark as to uh, what exactly is the status of a Kyler Murray and then how long does it take him to regain form? And I'm guessing it's going to be the question that gets asked every single day or at least every single day that the head coach addresses the media as far as what is the latest because that's what anyone and everyone is going to care about. Your franchise quarterback is on the sideline watching training camp. How long is he going to be watching? And then what can he do? And then how ready is he? We say 100%, but will there be a slow ramp up? Will the playbook kind of be, all right, Kyler, this is what we're going to allow you to do? And then as we get two, three, four games into it, okay, we'll open it up and say, all right, now you've got more to your disposal to figure out how to move the ball up and down the field. It's almost a return to his rookie year. He was never afforded a rookie year. He was never given the ability to have a rookie learning curve by just sitting and watching a veteran quarterback. From day one, he was the franchise quarterback. He was the starter, the face of the franchise. So now he's going to start the season. We figure he's going to start the season in the sideline, watching a veteran, knowing it's going to be his turn. But especially with a new scheme, you know, maybe ultimately it's beneficial to watch a Cole McCoy, who is familiar with this sort of offense. Think about it. Actually, it's a legitimate question. Correct me if I'm wrong. Kyler Murray has never run the offense that is being installed. Correct. Did not do it in high school. Didn't do it at A&M or at Oklahoma. Got very little playing time at A&M, so that's not even a question. The sort of offense that Lincoln Riley was running, very much akin to what Cliff Kingsbury ran. It's one of the reasons the Cardinals drafted Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. One of the reasons I'm convinced Cliff Kingsbury was given that last contract extension is because it was always a package deal, Kyler and Cliff. So Kyler's never run more of a traditional offense, been under center nearly as much as what most are expecting we're going to see. So I think that's going to be an intriguing aspect of it too. Just when is he physically and mentally ready and how long before he excels in this type of scheme, which remember Zach Ertz told Wolf and Luke couldn't be any more different than what Cliff Kingsbury had run the previous four years. Well, let's go back before you're even at the line of scrimmage. How many times have we seen Kyler Murray operate out of a huddle where you're slowing things down a little bit and, as Ron Wolfley likes to say, looking at all 10 of your teammates in the eyes and say, all right, this is what we're doing, and then how much direction is he getting from Drew Petzing on the sideline Hand signals versus what's in the headset versus, hey, I'm looking at my wristband, and now I need to relay the play to everyone else. That is all going to be different as well. Forget the fact that you're going to be under center taking the snap. you got to relay the information to your teammates. Hey, in the preseason games, when Clayton Toon, we figure, will get the second half, if they have some issues getting in and out of the huddle, if he has some issues under center, don't be surprised. Because I was talking to Clayton Toon in the Big Red Rage. They did very little of that at Houston. Huddling? What's that? Under center? Huh? These, these rookie quarterbacks coming out almost exclusively are used to what Cliff Kingsbury ran, much more the college scheme. So it, it's going to be a learning curve for not only Kyler, but Clayton Toon. And so we'll see if there's some growing pains. So in some, some sort of roundabout way, Maybe it's the best thing for everyone to see Colt McCoy running this offense and giving everyone an example of what it's supposed to look like. The other player that we are all wondering about as far as coming off an injury is Zach Ertz. How healthy is he going to be? He has mentioned time and again that he hopes to be ready week one, but it's the player that we did not 
see on the field that I'm going to have a question mark. And maybe it's not a question mark. Maybe maybe it's too much speculation and concern over here, Paul. But Buda Baker, is he happy? We've seen him on the field, barefoot, by the way, which I don't understand. But he has been in the building, was in the building during mandatory minicamp. But is it a happy Buda Baker? I would, it would surprise me if he does not report on time and just becomes that effervescent, physical, spirited player that we've all seen and grown to love and respect. But is there an issue behind the scenes that people debate back and forth? Yes, there is. No, there's not. I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Is it just business? Does it go beyond the contract? I presume it really is just dollars and cents. It's the lack of guaranteed money going forward. It's that moment in his career at 27 years of age in his prime as a legitimate Pro Bowl safety, as someone who has been touted as the example to follow. It's all about leverage. You know, the Cardinals have the cap room, so the timing is right there. Uh, look, what you hear from the GM is positive. There hasn't been a war of words. The fact he's in the building, he's been out on the field at least, you know, hanging and vibing with his teammates. Okay, so I'm taking that as a positive in terms of it's just a matter of time till they come to an agreement. It'd be much different if he was, wasn't in the building and didn't appear to be uh, learning the system. You know, the, in other words, there's a future. He, he's, he's interacting with the coaches, but when? Will he be holding? How willing are the Cardinals to redo the deal? There's always the downside of setting a precedent. Now, can the Cardinals say, hey, when you play like Buda Baker, come knock on our door? Yes. He's a very singular player in so many different ways. But this he is the heartbeat of the defense. We both know that. Any Cardinals fan who watches the Cardinals, there is no one quite like Buda Baker, and they will not be the same team if he's on the sideline instead of between the white stripes. You need to see number one on the field. You need to see number three on the field as far as this team going into 2023 any other questions Paul that you have that you still have going into training camp whether it's a roster move or it's a position group as far as now I did write down just for your own benefit and I do have a question just because I mean there is a competition one of my you know training camp battles is the punter absolutely Matt Hawk, the veteran, six-year veteran, former ASU guy who specializes in putting in punts, uh, downing punts inside the 20. Okay, he's the experienced guy. And then you have Nolan Cooney, big leg, been impressive. Definitely has the backing of the special teams coordinator, Jeff Rogers. So what does that mean? Let there be a punter battle. We've seen three different long snappers. Uh, Is that just because of an injury? To the veteran, uh, we'll see what that means exactly. But when Jonathan Gannon says, quote, everything is a competition, then guess what? Uh, there, There is reason to believe him. But, yeah, if you say are there more questions out there, my hand is in the air. So when you call on me, I say, you know what, are you going to sign a free agent center? Yep. Been a few rumblings uh, as such by some of the national NFL insiders. You know, Magnus Verfroholt, which is how I refer to him, by the way, in honor of Magnus Vermagnuson, the strongman, for everything that he is, and I think he's a viable center, he's only had four starts in his career, and that was as the fourth-string center in a pinch, a real emergency for the Browns last year. So he doesn't exactly bring a ton of experience to the position. Now, with Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy can handle a lot of that, especially if he's under center and a lot of those line calls. 
But if you have Kyla Murray back under center for the first time, do you want an experienced guy like like a Rodney Hudson type? So that's a big question. Can you really run all this 11, 12, and 13 personnel with the current tight end room? Are you going to have to make an addition to that room? Which brings me to my final question. Is Monty Hall, H-A-U-L, going to show up again at the end of camp? And is he going to have a lot of waiver claims since Cardinals are number three in that in that order? And are they going to bolster several rooms based on cuts from other teams when the other teams get down to 53? I'd even add D-line, edge rusher, yep. cornerback Corner. specifically. That might be the biggest question mark on that defensive side. Yeah, even if you do have Buda, Jalen, and Isaiah playing safety, you still need two starting cornerbacks, three, four into the season. And who are those? I mean, is Marco Wilson ready to be that guy? I mean, he certainly came on strong as a rookie, but I maybe tailed off a little bit, maybe got tired, hit a rookie wall. Is he right now? He and Antonio Hamilton are your are your starting cornerbacks. And I mean nothing against either of those. That just that just doesn't it doesn't scare a lot of quarterbacks, especially the way the quarterbacks that this team is going to face this year. That's one room where I could see a Quavian White, undrafted rookie free agent out of Georgia State, who has impressed out on that field. I could see him making a run at the final 53. How many undrafted rookie free agents are viable candidates to make the final roster out of camp? Kyle Soley, the inside linebacker from ASU. Jacob Slade, the defensive lineman out of Michigan State. Amari DiMercato, the running back out of TCU, has gotten a lot of props and praise. I could see, honestly, you could see four guys at least with a real shot at making the final 53 who were not drafted. That entire inside linebacker room, I think, is going to consist of newcomers. Kaiser White, Josh Woods, Chris Barnes, Owen Papo. The uh, day three draft pick, and then the undrafted rookie free agent, Kyle Soley. So, uh, yeah, there there are a lot of questions, and because there are no allegiances between this new GM and head coach and the current roster, for the most part, uh, let there be change. I I think it's coming. I'll give you two more undrafted free agent names, and you can add to your list of breakout players. Here we go. Just basically cover the entire unrookie draft class for the Arizona Cardinals in 2023. But when you talk about the tight ends and needing – Blocking tight ends. Can that be a Blake Whitehart out of Wake Forest who received the most guaranteed money of any undrafted free agent? He got $250,000 to come and sign. So the Cardinals definitely wanted him. Now, can he do what they want him to do on the football field? And the other tight end is out of Michigan, Joel Hungerford, who is a offensive lineman converted to tight end. This team needs not a pass-catching tight end. They need a blocking tight end. Can one of those two, or maybe even both, make this roster? All right, so now I have six. I have six undrafted rookie free agents on my working list here that uh, have a viable shot at the final 53. But you're right. The tight end room might be the position group to start with, just based on the fact the uncertainty around Zach Ertz. Certainly didn't proclaim he was going to be ready week one when he's on with Wolf and Luke, so I don't know what that means exactly. Trey McBride, man, you know, he, look, he's going to take a big leap, I think, from year one to year two, but he's going to need some help. And then behind him, there's a lot of uncertainty. So, yeah, I think that is that is a big question, things we still wonder about. Had a chance to talk with Monty Austin for within the last couple of weeks, and one of the questions I asked him was, will there be or how many additions do you think to this roster between now and and once you start getting into pads? And he really deferred on that and immediately pointed to the end of camp 
and waiver claims when teams decide on their final 53. So I, I don't think the old time time sign we used to count on, one, two, or three of them within the first week of camp, I do not expect that with Monty Austin Ford. I don't think that's going to be his M.O. this year. It might go back to what we began Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals with, and that is that first padded practice, Monday, July 31st. How many answers do this front office, this coaching staff get when now all of a sudden training camp gets ratcheted up and now guys are going full speed, pads are on, and all of a sudden it does become full contact football. You're not just going running in shorts and just maybe going half speed, quarter speed. But those padded practices, that's early in camp. All right, we know what you can do when you're running on air. Now let's put some obstacles in your way and see what you do. And we know the commitment to the offensive line and defensive line by the decision makers who are in place now. In fact, that was one of the comments Zach Ertz made. He said, there has been a philosophy shift. There has been a change in the organization. There is much more emphasis on the line of scrimmage than there was previously. And it was interesting, Zach Ertz in his 11 years in the league, and he has a ring, and he said he wholeheartedly agreed with that. He said, for all the weapons any team can have, if you lose a couple offensive linemen, it's real tough to win in this league. And what happened to the Arizona Cardinals during their four-win campaign in 2022? How many different starting offensive line combinations did they have a year ago? Ten. At least. Yes. And so, okay, you know, when you have consistently that rotating you know, group of offensive linemen and guys are not used to playing, you know, with each other and there's no cohesion and no chemistry, look out, just look out. And then, you know, you forget, and, and, and Will Anderson talked about this, and DJ Humphreys talked about it with the media, people don't nearly appreciate offensive line play enough until you start losing your starters and becomes painfully apparent what it looks like between a legitimate starting offensive lineman in the league and a fringe backup. Ten different offensive line combinations. The most consecutive weeks, the same five guys played together was four. Wow. Weeks 15 through wow. 18. You don't have an offensive no. line. You don't have an offense. You don't have an offense. You don't have points. You don't have points. You don't have scoring. And all of a sudden, you're not winning ball games. Yeah. So, look, for everything I think you do have in the receiver room, and I think it's better than most people think between Hollywood Brown Rondale Moore, Greg Dorch, you know, Michael Wilson, if he's that guy, Zach Pascal, who's very motivated and very hungry. I think you have more than enough at the receiver position to actually reestablish a downfield passing attack and move the football. You just got to protect the quarterback and establish that run game to make it a balanced attack. And there, we're going to see a lot more play action this year. The play action has to be respected by that front seven. You have to force a defense to put that extra safety in the box. That that too high shell coverage the Cardinals could never solve over the last few years. You have to make defenses pay for that. And I think that's the first objective by Drew Petzing. Questions that we have begin to get answered when training camp begins. 11 open practices at State Farm Stadium. Again, the first one is Thursday, July 27th. First padded practice, Monday, July 31st. Parking admission free. Digital tickets, though, are required. Just go to azcardinals.com for more information and your complete training camp schedule as far as how many open practices there are and when they will be. Here's what you do if you're a fan. You walk in, you tell the boss, July 31st, <laughs> that's an Arizona holiday. Well, what are you talking about, Hanran? No, take July, a half day. July 31st, it's the first padded practice. Thou shalt take the rest of the day off. Full circle moment here, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy 
your parking here at the Dignity <laughs> right. Health Arizona Cardinals yeah. Training Center because you only have it for so long before oh. everyone else returns for the regular season. I might just double park out there because I can. I'm just going to flex out there. I, I am going to be the guy that parks over the line like so many other people have done around here, and you know who you are. I'm going to do that intentionally by design today. I always knew you were a rule breaker, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, nonconformist. <laughs> on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai. Proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, who is also here. Again, no days off for the three of us here in the offseason. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.